0: We are continuing in our series on the parables, and we'll be in Luke chapter 12, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or tap there, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you, and if you're here today and you don't own a Bible, you can just take that Bible with you. Uh, If you have four or five Bibles at home, leave it here. Uh, It's not for you. It's for people who don't have one. You can take it. Um, And... uh, So this parable as i've mentioned a couple of times through the parable series when you're reading the parables uh there's there's quite often a common theme through them first of all they're being used to teach very difficult truths uh, in a way that kind of presses on that point in our life that we don't really want pressed on necessarily and jesus tells these stories in order to press on that point in a way that brings new truth and and new revelation to our hearts and so that's what's going to happen today is Jesus, like the doctor does sometimes, is going to put his finger on something or he's going to press under the ribs and just ask if that hurts, and it may hurt a little, because uh, that's what Jesus is doing in his teaching. I uh, just warn you that ahead of time. The second thing is, is quite often in the parables, there's, there's two common themes in almost all the parables, but not all of them, which is God's outrageous grace and generosity on one hand, excuse me, and the dangerous predicament that we are in on the other hand, and so we can see in many of the parables that we've done the outrageous grace and generosity of God in paying all of the workers equally, no matter how late they came, and the dangerous position that the early workers were in in their anger at God and feeling that God was holding out at them because, you know, he was treating everybody equally. How dare he? And, uh, you know, and then uh, in the parable, we, we're not doing this parable, but in the, in the parable of the, of the lost uh, son uh, or the younger brother and the older brother, Uh, you know, there's the generous, amazing, outrageous grace of God in receiving the prodigal son home and the dangerous predicament of the elder brother who is bitter and, and, and hateful towards the father for treating that son with such generosity. So this idea of God's generous grace and our dangerous predicament, as you read parables, you can kind of see how Jesus is illustrating them. Now this parable doesn't do that. This is one of those parables I talked about doesn't do that, as though so many do. God's generosity is certainly here, and our dangerous predicament is certainly here, but it's mainly a very pointed parable on one thing, which is where does our wealth come from, how much is enough, and what do we do with our blessing? What do we do with the wealth that we have? And so just to give you context on this parable, it's the rich fool in his barns, Jesus, it says in Luke 12, verse 1, it says, Jesus was speaking to many thousands of people. Okay, this is the scenario. Many thousands of people had gathered to hear Jesus preach. So I think Jesus invented the megachurch, okay? It wasn't Bill Hybels. It wasn't, you know, any of those guys. Jesus invented the megachurch. But the scene here is Jesus teaching and preaching to thousands. People gathered to hear him and listen in as he's teaching his disciples, talking about various aspects of discipleship. That's what he's he's teaching about and preaching about. And then in Luke 12, 13, uh, it says this. In this crowd, as Jesus is teaching, he, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Okay, so this sometimes happens, not so much, but here, here's this guy who's, And this happens with all preachers. You're preaching away, and you're hoping that people are following what you're preaching and that they're listening. And then out of the blue, somebody says something that is just like, that is not at all what we're talking about here. I don't know what you're thinking about right now, but you're sitting there daydreaming. This guy's daydreaming about this inheritance he's supposed to have. And while Jesus is preaching, he just blurts out in the crowd, hey, teacher, I don't know, I forgot what you have, lost my train of thought here, but just tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And so Jesus says to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Right? And so this guy's not been following the sermon at all. He just basically says, help me get what I want, Jesus. I want something. I want you to help me get it. And Jesus turns it into a teaching moment about our desire for and our youth use of wealth. And the aside here is that this man wants something. He's saying, I don't have and I desire, I covet something that my brother has. He has wealth and I want that wealth. And so Right away, you see, the idea of greed is not limited to rich people. We think all those rich people are so greedy. Well, no, there's lots of poor people that are greedy, too. It's the condition of your heart towards wanting what you don't have and desiring something that you think you deserve. And so rich or poor, greed can be a problem. But Jesus sees this as a teaching moment, even though this guy's kind of blurted out completely out of context, this request. He takes it as a moment to be a teaching moment to to teach something about greed. And so he says, who appointed me? He says, basically, I'm not your lawyer, okay? Like, there's lawyers available for that. It's not something I do. But I will speak to this issue that you have raised. And then that brings us to verse 15. And he, and he comes into the parable. And he says, then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So he's basically saying to this guy and to everybody now, the thousands that are listening, Be aware of greed. When you don't have and you want, but even when you have a lot, your life does not consist of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul? You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease and eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? And so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let's just pray as we unpack the parable. Father God, this is a a very short story that Jesus has told here, and there's a lot in it that we know that is for our heart, and this is medicine, this is tonic for our souls. And uh, so, Lord, as we read your word, I pray that it would be your spirit that's speaking to us and revealing to each of us individually what it is in our heart that we need to learn and uh, to be transformed more and more into the likeness of your son and into a, a people that bring glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here's the parable then. starts out with, and we'll just work through it kind of phrase by phrase and unpack it. The, the parable start, begins, beware and be on your guard. And so Jesus starts by saying, guard yourself. And so we, we learn here that our hearts don't automatically lean towards selflessness. There's a caution here. He's basically saying to all these people, here, it's not your natural bent to be selfless. Your heart is going to be self-gratifying and self-serving by default. And so you need to be on your guard. It takes a proactive awareness for you to be aware of the fact that you will be selfish, not selfless, by default. So beware and, and be on your guard. Two things, be aware of that and also be on your guard. It takes a system of guarding to protect yourself from greed. If you're not doing guarding, then you are slowly falling into greed. So how do we be aware? How do we guard? How do we, so we can ask ourselves around this topic in our spiritual walk, do we have those proactive conscious processes in place in our life? Are we self-aware of how we are influenced? by our family right by the the childhood that we had by the by maybe what our siblings have done in their life by the people around us how is that influencing our heart towards possessions and things in this world how are we influenced by tv and what we watch on television or movies how are we influenced by you know facebook or twitter or watching the hollywood scene like are we watching facebook to see the vacations that everybody is posting on you know hashtag blessed as they're laying on the beach in hawaii right and then we covet that you know why can't i have that boat why can't i have that life you know my brother has all this money just like this guy said you know i want the inheritance my brother has this money i have to be successful. I need to have the same things. Or or even just the classic keeping up with the Joneses, right? Like, what have my neighbors got? Are we aware of the influences and conscious of the influences of our community and our family and our culture in conditioning our heart towards covetousness, towards greed, right? Are we aware of it? The Apostle Paul says, don't be unaware of the devil's schemes, right? We're not unaware of the devil's schemes. He's scheming against us. Our enemy is planning against us. Are we planning our defense? Do we counter those influences that we've inherited with new biblical and spiritual truth? Do we have good spiritual practices and good spiritual people in our lives that help us guard against wrong thinking about material possessions or about greed or covetousness or desires of any kind? This is where small group comes in. This is where accountability partners comes in. This is where having a good brother or sister who can speak the truth to you in a way that you know, you will accept, even though it might be offensive truth, and say, you know what? You seem to be talking a lot about money. Or you know, you're really hung up on this issue. Or you really want this influence. Or you really want that position. Or you really want these people to like you. And, and greed can take all kinds of forms. But we need guarding processes. We need processes that guard us against greed. And not just money greed, but all kinds of greed. I found that as I was reading this, it was interesting that Jesus specifically said every form of greed. And I immediately thought, but isn't there just one form of greed? Right? Like, Isn't there just one? You're greedy for money. That's it. Right? But Jesus says here, be on your guard against all forms of greed, all, all kinds of covetousness. So there's other forms that we have to be on guard against, not just for greed for money. And we actually see this in the parable that it is about money, sort of it's about money. There was a self-interest in hoarding wealth that this man had, but it wasn't just wealth for wealth's sake, right? It wasn't so that the man could just swim through piles of wealth like Scrooge McDuck does, you know, in his money bin, right? Right? That's not the kind of greed that was going on here. It wasn't just having a big vault that you could swim through the money with. The man as we will see in the parable is actually greedy for idleness. He wants security, he covets pleasure, he covets belongings, there's a whole bunch of things that he covets, all forms of greed. And we can be greedy, and that is we can want more than our fair share of many things, even good things. Money is good, security is good, rest is good, food is good, family is good, respect is good, influence is good, all of those things are good things, but we can covet them. We can take a good thing, and we can covet it and be greedy about it and make it a bad thing. And we can take for our, them for ourselves at the cost of others. Right? We can demand for ourselves things at the expense of others. And that's really what all kinds of greed is. The land of a rich man was very productive. And so as we go on here, we see that he was already a rich man. And it's worth noting, I think, mainly because Jesus is making the point that the man did not lack anything. If a poor man's land finally yields well, if the story was about a poor man who has a bountiful harvest, then we would all just assume that that money's going to a good place, right? He, he's got mortgage payments to make. He's got debts to pay off. He's got to put his kids through school. He's got to feed his family. He's got to fix the house. You know, whatever. If a poor man has a bountiful harvest, we understand it's going to be well used in a necessary way. But Jesus makes the point here that this is a rich man. This is a man who lacks nothing. He's already rich. And he has a bountiful harvest. His land was very productive. He was not suffering and he still had a bumper crop on top of that. Now where did this bumper crop come from? This is the first thing to think about. Was it from the man? Was he the source of this incredibly productive season in his farm? Well, no. The man didn't make it rain, right? The man did not germinate the seeds. The man did not cause them to grow. The man did not have them bear the harvest right? God is the source. God made it rain. God made the growth. And so this was an extra blessing from God. And so we have to remember this as well. As we look in our own life and we look and see where God is blessing, we consider the areas where we have much. We are rich people in that God has given us more than we need and has taken care of us well. We have to remember that that was not us. That was God that did that. God is the one that has provided the wealth. God is the one that has provided the bumper crop in our life, so to speak. God's the source of whatever we have. And as Jesus is telling the parable and getting to the punchline at the end where the man is putting his riches, we have to remember that Jesus is not expecting something from nothing. That's part of this parable, right? Jesus is not saying that God is demanding from this man or from us something that was not already given. He was already a rich man and he was given a bumper crop. And so God's not saying, you don't have anything but I want. I want to take what you don't even have. God is saying, I made it rain. I've provided blessing. You have surplus because of my blessing. And we have to remember that that is from God. And He's not asking for something that hasn't already been given. His rebuke to this man and Jesus' rebuke to us will not be that he was poor and had nothing and still didn't give a return. His rebuke will be you have been given excess and you haven't even given a portion back yet. You have a bumper crop and you're still not recognizing what God has given you and you're using it for yourself and not for God's kingdom. That's where the punchline is going to come. But then Jesus goes on. You know, even though God has given him this bumper crop, it says he began reasoning with himself and all the personal pronouns begin. I will and my barns and I will do this and my this and this. I will tear down my barns and build larger one and I will store my grain and my goods. Right? So this this guy thinks it's all about him. All the personal pronouns begin. right? He thinks all this wealth is because, is for him and from him, and worse, he thinks it's for him. And is there a problem with having barns? No. There is not a problem with having barns. right? Is there a problem with being rich? No. Not a problem with being rich. Jesus doesn't say that. Is there a problem when there's a bumper crop in your life, in whatever area of your life, whether you have a bumper crop in, you know, success or wealth or time or leisure or... You know, uh, resources or influence or connections or family, whatever. You have a bumper crop, a bumper season in your life where you are enjoying plenty in any area. Is there anything wrong with that? No. There's nothing wrong with plenty in your life. Is there a problem with being given stewardship over much wealth? No. Those are all good things if you guard your heart and you steward them well. But this man is not stewarding. He is not dispersing. He is not distributing. He's not utilizing what he has been given well. He thinks that what God has given is all for him and he's not returning to God anything from this abundance or this surplus in his life. That's the problem. The surplus and the abundance in his life is not the problem. It's okay to have much. God wants to bless us with much. But he thinks it's all for him and that it's his doing. And there's one rhetorical, unspoken question here that Jesus wants to raise in the minds of his listeners at this point in the parable, right? The, the, the unspoken question here is, how much is enough? Right? As, as all these thousands of people, the vast majority of them, knowing the income distribution of you know, first century Palestine, the vast majority of them being poor, right? Subsistence farmers, subsistence livers. As they're listening to this and they're hearing about this rich man and his barns and then he wants to build more barns, they're asking this question and Jesus doesn't speak it out loud, but this is the question that's unspoken that everybody is thinking, how much is enough for anyone? And so to get some context for that question in our century, I googled a couple of things. Now admittedly, I googled it on my $800 cell phone (laughs) that I paid $200 for, okay, two years ago. But there's something right there, right? Googled it on my $800 cell phone. uh, And that was the cheap one. So, but as I Googled these two things, the North American temperature-controlled storage, right? They call it cold storage. It's temperature-controlled. North American temperature-controlled storage industry in 2016 was roughly $29 billion industry. In 2018, it was almost $36 billion. It's growing by just about 10% a year. By 2025, which is not that far away anymore, this temperature-controlled storage industry will be nearly $70 billion industry. Okay, this is a $70 billion industry in North America for us to store stuff we're not using, to store our extra stuff, right? So right now, we are collectively spending over $35 billion a year to have our unused stuff professionally stored for us. And the rate that we store unused stuff is increasing by 10% a year. While at the same time, the North American population is increasing by less than 1% a year. And that includes immigration and refugees and everybody. And so our physical numbers in North America increase by less than 1%. And our stuff that we have to store because we don't have space for it increases by 10% every year. Right? Now, I get it that some of this storage is just people moving and it's temporary and all of that stuff, but you and I both know that a lot of this is just stuff that's not being used and we're spending billions of dollars just to store it. And that's the professional paid storage industry. That's not counting the two-car garage you have that you can't fit your two cars in, <laughs> right? That is so full of stuff, you've got your two cars sitting outside. This is, this is paid professional storage, For the stuff that we have. And the rhetorical unspoken question is, how much is enough? And we say to ourselves, I know what I'll do. I'll just double the cold storage industry so we can store more stuff. I'll just build bigger barns. How much is enough? Does God bless us so that we can bless ourselves? And again, I don't think that Jesus intends this illustration, which is about wealth, to only be about wealth. Jesus said at the beginning, guard your heart against all kinds of greed. And so we have to apply this a little more broadly than just money and stuff. And you can't sit here today and say, well, I don't care about stuff, so clearly I'm not a greedy person. Well, okay, what about your time? How how greedy are you or covetous are you with your time? Oh, you know, I can't can't help you. You know, it's Saturday and Sunday are my weekend. That's my time. You know, oh, you know, I've, I've already been out one night this week. I can't be out another night this week. Right Or, you know, I've got like a solid, I'm trying to get a tight 20 hours into a Netflix series this week, right? So, you know, I'd like to help you, but I can't, right? So time, time like right below money and wealth, time is the next big one. It's easy. And, and that's my weakness. I'll, I'll confess it right now, right? I, I can be covetousness of my time. I like my me time. I'm a bit of an introvert anyway. But on top of being a bit of an introvert, I also just like my time. I like my own company. I live pretty much inside my head. And, uh, you know, so I, I just think I'm a great guy to hang around with. You know, so, so I'm being honest with you. We, we can be covetous. We can be greedy with our time, right? And, and we, can, we can hoard that time for ourselves, right? And, you know, not tell people that we're available or whatever, You know, but it can be other things. Like I said, it can be, it can be, we can be greedy or covet influence or reputation or even the time that our friends have, right? I want all my friends' attention, right? I need attention all the time. I want people to care about me and listen to me, right? And I just, I want people to, I want to, when everybody goes out, I want to make sure that I'm with them. I have to be at all the events and all the parties. And, you know, we can be greedy with the attention of other people where it's like, no, don't give them attention, give me attention. We can even be greedy. And this is a hard one. We can be greedy with family right? It's like, I I want my family with me all the time. And, you know, Isaac's going away to school and God bless him. Good riddance. But, um, you know, (laughs) I know there's some parents out there that enjoy the company of their children, right? And so, so they're like, oh, (laughs) I want to, I'm just teasing the kid. It's my love language. Um, no, but we can covet our children's time. We can covet our children's presence, right? Like, oh, you've got to come over for dinner. You've got to be there for every Christmas. You've got to be there for every birthday. you got to be, you know, I know that you've got your own family. I know that you've got your own thing going on, but I just, I just want your presence all the time. And we can covet people's time, family, friends, in a way that's greedy and it's limiting them, and, and it's just covetousness. And so Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, all kinds of covetousness, because we can covet lots of things. And and God says, I've blessed you with an abundance of resources or influence or time or position or money. How are you using what I've blessed you that abundance with? Are you holding it loosely in your hand and making it available for the kingdom? And again, is it wrong to have wealth? No. No. Is it wrong to be a steward over much? No. Is it wrong to enjoy family time? No. Is it wrong to care for yourself and enjoy rest and have some time to recharge? No. Those are not wrong things. But be on your guard. Has that thing in your life become a kind of greed that you covet and you just want more and more of it? And not sparing any time or wealth or people for the kingdom, but all for you. It's all about you. This, all this blessing, all this bumper crop that God has given is for me, not for his kingdom. That was the heart of this man that Jesus wanted to put his finger on. And the heart in in the crowd that he wanted to put his finger on. It's that hard part in our life that, that Jesus is placing his finger on. He's saying, I've given bountifully in your life. You know, is it for you or is it for the kingdom? Are you giving back out of the bountiful harvest that you've had? And it sneaks up on you. It sneaks up on you just like greed snuck up on this rich man. He didn't even consider any alternatives other than building more barns, right? His immediate go-to was, I'm just going to build bigger barns. And he never thought of any other alternative as to what he could do with God's bountiful harvest in his life. You've got a bountiful harvest. I've got a bountiful harvest in my life in some area. And the question is, do I just use it to serve myself or is there another alternative? What do we do with the extra? What do we do with the surplus? But before we answer that, there's one more criteria to this parable. The man does not recognize the generous, outrageous grace of God in giving him all this bounty, and that's where the generosity and the outrageous grace of God shows up here, right? God is outrageously gracious to us in giving to us bountifully. As North, globally, in terms of the global context, Canada and North America is bountifully blessed, right? Individually, us sitting here, I know that not everybody here is necessarily wealthy or well-off, but if you're sitting here today, you know that God has blessed you in so many different ways in your life, and you have more than you need in a lot of different places. So that's the generosity and the generous, outrageous grace of God to give us so much. But the second thing we have to get to before we get to the punchline is, is this man doesn't recognize the dangerous predicament that he's in. You have many goods laid up for many years to come, he says. He thinks he does. He does. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. You fool. That's one, of the, that's one of the insults that is kind of biblically safe to use, because God calls lots of people fools, Jesus calls people fools. It's one of those things that you can kind of get away with as a pastor calling people fools. <laughs> Jesus did it, so it must be Okay. But Psalm 14.1 says, A fool says in his heart there is no God. That's what a fool says. Proverbs 1.7, A fool despises wisdom and instruction. Romans 1.22 says, and this is the kicker, this is where Paul's talking about the reality of sin in the world, thinking themselves wise, they became fools. We think we're so smart sometimes. In the way we view the world and the way we view God, and thinking ourselves wise, we actually became fools. Foolishness is our dangerous predicament. The dangerous predicament of this man's life is his foolhardiness, his foolishness. Our dangerous predicament is we can be just as foolish. We think that that we can serve ourselves more than we serve God and it will have no consequences. We think that we can take all of the bountiful harvest, we can take all of the bumper crop for ourselves and there will be no consequence of just taking it all. Life is more than clothing and food, Jesus will say right after this parable. Life, the life Jesus is talking about is eternal life, spiritual life, real life is not about coveting wealth or security or comfort or self-gratification. There's going to be an accounting for what you have done with this life in the real life that is to come. And that's what Jesus says here in the parable. You fool, this very night your life, will, your soul will be expected of you. Right? There's going to be an accounting for what we have done with the bumper crop of this life. And then Jesus delivers the punchline after he explains the dangerous predicament. He says, here's the application. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So again, Jesus is not saying it's wrong to be rich. And we could go to other texts and see that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. That means there's blessing and bountifulness on, on the whole world. Both the wicked and the righteous can prosper, we can read. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Nothing wrong with being wealthy. Nothing wrong with planning wisely. Nothing wrong with being a good steward and leaving an inheritance and caring for people. God wants you to have shelter. God wants your kids to go to school. God wants them to be well fed. God hopes that we have medical care. There's nothing wrong with wealth. Those are good things. God gives the gift of generosity to some. and We have examples in the Old and New Testament of saints both rich and poor. The Apostle Paul says he learned how to live with abundance and with little at various times in his life. But on balance, though, Jesus is very clear. Wealth and with wealth comes incredible danger. It's easier for a camel to fit through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, he says in Matthew 19. And so there is the dangerous predicament that the rich can find themselves in. When you have the bumper crop, when you have the bounty, when you are the plentiful one, when you are the blessed one, this is the dangerous predicament. If you're not guarding your heart, if you're not aware of all kinds of covetousness, there's a, rich, there's a lesson here for the rich or for the one seeking riches. The fool is the one who is rich only towards himself and not at the same time rich towards God right? He says, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So the way to not be a fool, Jesus tells us actually in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, right? Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break up and steal. So if you want to be wealthy but not a wealthy fool, then be rich but be rich towards God at the same time is what Jesus is saying. It's not wrong to be rich. It's just wrong to seek riches for their own sake and, it's, and to be rich and not be rich towards God with the riches that you have. God has not blessed us with money, And not all of us, sorry, God has not blessed us all with money, but he's blessed us all in various ways and various measures. And so as you examine your own life, as you examine your own heart, as you examine where God has been bountiful in your life, you have to think about, how do I use that for the kingdom? How am I rich towards God? What a great phrase, rich towards God. I'm rich towards myself in a lot of different ways. How am I rich towards God with what he has given me? What are we coveting and keeping for ourselves? That God is saying, some of that is meant to be your worship towards me. Some of that time, Paul, is meant to be your act of worship towards me. Some of that, you know, influence or respect or reputation or connections that you have is meant to be worship towards me. You're meant to use that for the kingdom. Some of that money and that stuff that you have is meant to be worship towards me. It's meant to be rich towards me. I've given you that so that you can return it. I've given you everything you have just be rich towards me and towards the kingdom. Don't be a fool. There's all these things that we have that we can use to be rich towards God. So what's our application then? We have the opportunity to serve God, to be rich towards God with money and time and stuff and everything he has given us. And we can give wealth. I mean, there's a very practical thing. You can can write a check. You can give money. You can give to missions. You can give to the church. God says in Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. God says, bring the tithe in so that I can supply and I can do ministry. And right after that, then in Malachi 3.10, if you keep going in that, in that verse, there's actually a, a promise of the blessing that comes out of that giving. But that's not what today is about. It's just, it's, today is about bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. So you, you, can, you can be rich towards God with wealth. There's ministry needs that are unmet if we are not rich towards God in that very simple way. If, if we don't give, then ministry doesn't happen. It's the way it works. Or we can give time. Ephesians 5.16 says, make the best use of your time in these evil days. So God is saying there's kingdom work to be done while there's still time, and so don't waste your time on Netflix when there's time for ministry to be done. Romans 12.1-2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Man, that verse just hits this right on the nose, right? Don't be conformed to the world, which says take all the time for yourself, right? Serve yourself as much as possible. Be at ease as much as possible. You know, retire early. Do as little as you can. Just play most of your life. He says, don't be conformed to this world. He says, instead, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's what you're meant to do with your spare time. When God's given you an abundance, a blessing, a bountiful harvest of spare time, an early retirement, uh, or just a job you don't have to spend a whole lot of time at, whatever it is, whatever God has given you, a spouse that supports the household, I don't know what it is. Whatever your situation is where God has given you a whole bunch of time and you have a bumper crop of time, you can... Be wealthy. You can be rich towards God with that time. And we need that in ministry too. God's kingdom needs your time to reach the generation that we're, here, that we're planted in right now in the place that we're planted. Or we can use our possessions for the kingdom. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. I mean, we have cars, we have TVs, we have phones, we have laptops, we have cottages, we have spare bedrooms, we have, you know, whatever. Just our stuff. That, that people in God's kingdom needs and that the kingdom and ministry needs in order to do ministry. We have storage lockers full of stuff that you know, we're paying billions of dollars a year just to store, and we can be generous with that stuff. I'm just trying to give really practical examples. I don't know where the finger of Jesus presses on your heart this morning. I don't know if it's money or time or, or what it is, but as you listen like these many thousands listen to this parable, Jesus is pressing in and saying, there's a point in your life where I've been plentiful, where I've been bountiful. Are you being rich towards God out of that bounty? I don't know you. A thousand people that hear this message express their greed a thousand different ways. But Jesus says, beware, be on your guard. So there's two steps. Be conscious about your greed and where it comes from, and then set safeguards around it so that it doesn't overtake you. And then after saying beware and being on your guard, he then basically asks rhetorically, how much is enough? Jesus is asking, don't you already have enough, man? Hasn't God blessed you with bounty in areas of your life where you have an abundance? And now how are you using what God has given you in abundance for His kingdom? How are you being rich towards God with what He has given you? Whatever it is, be rich and generous towards God as He has been rich and generous towards you. Now this church, when I'm just thinking about Lakeside, This church has been very generous in giving. We've exceeded our budget every year that I've been here, which is fantastic. And we have set our sights again on the new budget that's coming on even more ministry and even more growth in this year to come. This church has lots of ministries that need your time, right? Sunday school needs teachers. Family night needs helpers. Junior high blast. Senior high riot. We're partnering to revitalize a church in Minden and that's going to need money and time. We have evangelism that we need to do. We need small group leaders in order to build people up. This church has been pressing into ministry in lots of different ways and so there are places here where you can ask yourself, God, how have you given me a bountiful harvest and where can I be rich back towards you in your church? Because I want to leave you with this and remembering this point. God doesn't ask you to give what you don't have. God is not asking to give out of something that he has not already given you. He asks you to give where he has already provided a bountiful supply in your life. For a lot of us, that is money. For a lot of us, an even greater portion, I would say that's time. But it's influence, it's relationships, it's connections, it's stuff, it's skills, it's talents that we have. God has blessed each and every one of us in some way bountifully beyond our imagination. And where God has provided richly, He's asking us to be rich back towards Him in His kingdom. That's the lesson. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. God's not asking you for something that He hasn't already given you, He has provided a plentiful harvest. How are we being rich in return?